You're listening to the Ghouls Gang podcast. You're here with your host, Zoe, me. Hello. It is the 31st of March. It is the last day of the month and it's Women in Horror Month. So we are going to be talking about our final female directed film of the month, which is super, super excited. Excited? Exciting. Um, I am joined today by none other than Hannah from Ghouls Magazine. Um, We are going to be talking about a very exciting film. So let's get into the discussion. Hannah, how are you? Hey Zoe, yeah, I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Yeah, the sun was very welcome today. It feels like we're finally approaching summer. I know that we're like officially in spring, but yeah, it was nice to see some sunshine. I'm so with you. As someone who suffers from seasonal affective disorder, I am fully ready for some sunlight in my life. It's like, it just rejuvenates me. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm really ready as well. Like, I'm not, I'm usually quite like a winter person. Like, I love coats and fur and stuff. But I don't know, this year I was like, nah, I'm not vibing it. Like, I want to <laughs> just wear, like, flip-flops and... I don't, I'm trying to think of summer clothes. And I was about to say overalls. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> some dungarees, yeah. So, you know, summer... Maybe, like, gardening outfits. That's what you were thinking of. Getting in the garden, overalls for the garden. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, gardening is, like, super trendy at the moment and trending everywhere oh. for God knows what reason. But, yeah. Cool. Each to their own. Exactly. Well, on a, on a slightly... I was going to say a brighter note, but I don't think it's... <laughs> probably quite the opposite we are of course here today to talk about none other than karen kasama's the invitation which we're obviously going to get into but yeah quite quite a bleak um film very very bleak (laughs) do you want to start hannah by giving a bit of a synopsis for this film absolutely yeah so the invitation from uh, 2015 uh, follows Will and his partner Kira um, as they've been invited along with some old friends to the house of Will's ex-wife Eden and her new husband David's for a reunion dinner party. Uh, Will and Eden suffered massive grief when their young son tragically died some years prior and Will's return to his old marital home brings forward a lot of emotion and PTSD. Eden and David plus two outsiders tell the group of the peace that they have found through the invitation, a cult. As the friends try and push through the awkward recruitment videos, party games and general tension, Will suspects that they are not being told the full story and reason why they have been brought together. Thank you for that wonderful synopsis, actually. (laughs) Very, very concise. Um, so you chose the invitation as one of the films, um, direct like female directed film because obviously March is Women in Horror Month. So, mm-hmm. I guess I'd love to know a bit more about what your first experiences with the film were, um, and perhaps how it maybe is compared, if anything, on a rewatch. 
Yeah, so I fully love this film. I um, I've seen it three times now, so uh, you know, third time for the for you know this podcast, and it just the tension building is masterclass. Yeah. Um, and I, I, if I can, I wish I could remember like my first thoughts. I remember thinking, like, I didn't know what side I was on. I mm. was like, is this going to go the way the film inevitably does go? Or is this all in Will's mind? And if it is in Will's mind, I want Will to get the help he desperately needs. And yeah. re-watching it this time, I'm struck with, like, well, everyone needs help in this film. It, that's, that's the whole purpose. You know, we're talking about, like grief that I couldn't even begin to understand like trauma bonding on yeah. again on another level um and the film inevitably ends with even more trauma bonding and I I, I again I hadn't recognized that on my first watch through but this watch though I was like oh my god it's just it's just seeped in emotion in in the rawest form um even like to the friends who are trying their best to hold everything together, but you see little pockets of their concern and their, you know, questioning, Will, mm -hmm. are you okay? Are you sure this is not on your mind? Basically gaslighting Will, yeah. which I, I was watching and I was just like, oh my God, the gaslighting in this film really is upsetting to watch. But it isn't from a place of... Um, it's, they're not trying to manipulate like the friends aren't trying to manipulate well into thinking it's on his head yeah they think he's genuinely troubled which he is that's not that's yeah. also not not true so you have all these complex like motives and true manipulation going on versus not so true manipulation it's just brilliant and the finale that third act is so scary and i, I yeah. don't often say films are scary but there's something about it being all in one one location and then being trapped in that location, which again has been foreshadowed throughout the film. And I was ticking off all the bits of like, oh, this is like a fortress. You've got this huge gate coming into the house. You've got David locking the door. You've got the locking of, you've got the um the bars on the windows. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. and my, on my, again, my third watch, I'm like, how do they not see it coming? that's the whole point it's just such a slow burn that you can start to rash and they, and they do rationalize all these decisions until it is the bad news that will thinks it has been the whole time and they're all there for a very dark sinister reason in the end yeah and it's uh it, it's so hard like you said i think you know watching it from an outsider it's especially on a rewatch you do actually go like oh well I would have noticed that like why are they not yeah. going oh will yeah you're right but then when you kind of think about it like you said you know considering the circumstances that will's there it's the first time he's been in the home where obviously um you know his son died and it's the first time he's seen Eden his ex-wife since two years time since I guess when his son died you know it's obviously been mm -hmm what will have been a very traumatic past two years of, of trauma and grief and kind of getting through that. So it is quite easy to see how, you know, the friends could kind of be like, oh, well, it's his, you know, it's his trauma. He's having a bad time. It's the scenario he's put in, you know, he's obviously got a lot of anxiety and stress and he's on edge 
from the very beginning of the film, you know, but it's like all of those things are for good reason, but at the same time, how would you, and I think for me that's what really makes this film so fantastic because it's like he's clearly running off a gut feeling Mm -hmm. and how in a scenario like that, you know, I think of if I'm at my friend's house or if they were locking the front door, would I be like, that's weird or would I be like, yeah, fair enough, if there was a burglary in the area, that makes sense, like, of course, and it's not until you could kind of, like, put everything down on, like, a sheet of paper, and then you go, oh, actually, this is getting a bit fucked up, which is the magic of the film, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I think um, Will's intuition Mm. is spot on, spot on, but you're absolutely right, if if the film didn't have the third act and it was just um, Will having a reunion with his friends plus his ex-wife who has this grief with, shares this grief with, it would be a drama. It would yeah. be a character study and it would, it would be a phenomenal film because what an interesting dynamic to, you know, to observe and watch. And again, like, you know, as a viewer and being a voyeur in going, like, how would I deal with the situation? But then you add in the cult, <laughs> you add in the invitation, and yeah. it becomes a fantastic horror film. Um, and the performances absolutely make that. The, the, even the casting, yeah. I, I think the casting is fantastic. Um, the the costume design. So when you first see Eden, and she's got that gorgeous long brown hair, like stunning, glamorous woman, but in this white dress, and I was yeah. like. Oh, oh, okay. So she here. Here comes our angel, our innocent, our na- our naive player. But even that brings its own connotations as you get into the film. Like she is naive. Yes. And yeah. Um. And I think again, my first watch, I was like, "Fuck Eden, fuck, fuck Eden." <laughs> oh, I hope I can swear. I'm swearing. You can. If, if not. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. Like, uh, fuck the invitation. But in this watch, too, I really, I felt so sorry for her yeah and uh, and again that's again i think knowing what was coming helped me build the empathy and that sympathy for her which i think the first watch through i was just so whiplashed by the whole thing i didn't have a chance to grow that attachment to her and really understand her plight yeah i think it's actually a film that benefits from watching it again i mean mm-hmm. I guess with the first experience, like the the great thing about watching it for the first time is you you don't know what's coming. You don't expect, you know, it is it is a shock to the system because you know we've gone through this very slow, gradual burn of kind of going something's not right. I'm also on edge. Like I can understand why he's feeling a little bit, but you you're not quite sure where it's going. Like like you said, you don't know whether it's just going to end up him being, um, you know, the fact that he is just in his personal grief and PTSD or if something's going to happen so the first time you watch it you do get that shock of going oh shit it's a cult and then obviously it turns very violent very barbaric you know it does go all kind of absolutely mental um and like you said very terrifying as well but I think on a rewatch you're completely right like how we identify with the characters is perhaps slightly different I think um you mentioned earlier, you know, not bit, not sure what side to be on. And for me, that 
last night, like when I was rewatching it, there was David says, you know, we're a slave to our own grief. And when I first watched it, same as you, I was like, fuck David, fuck Eden, they're fucking nutters. Like, it's a cult. They're just horrible human beings. But when David said that, I was like, oh my God, like, that's probably one of the most powerful things. And through that, I was like, I can see David's pain of losing his wife. And, you know, essentially what he's looking for is to escape from being a slave of grief, as he says. And I was like, that's that's actually devastating that doesn't make him evil that kind of makes him human yeah i think and we'll i guess we'll talk more about cults but when it comes to cults it's the the leader he's mm. he's the the, key, the the king manipulator and obviously in this in this fictional cult the invitation it is pulling on a lot of real life examples that we have of cult leaders yeah um to to encourage his followers to um well you know in in their minds they think they're ascending you know they they, they are going to the great and, and the next plane um and to you know no longer have these feelings and these emotions and the pain that goes along with it um, but in this uh, process, the cult leader, Doctor Something, I can't remember his name now, um, he um, he's encouraging they have to take people with them. They have yeah. it's, it's it's almost a mercy you to take these people with them. And in other like real life cults we've had, it tends to be I'm thinking like um, Heaven's Gate. They yeah. killed themselves um, because, again, they thought they were ascending to a higher plane, to a, a ne- the next level of of uh, humankind, um, and they thought they were descending from aliens. But they never hurt anyone else. Yeah. Um, Jonestown, which again, this film has a lot of Jonestown yeah. inspiration with like drinking the Kool Aid. I saw that. I was like, ah, okay. Yeah, I immediately <laughs> um, thought that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, but that was as much as that was put on them it was to the to the followers themselves but then you know again the other obvious um relation is the manson family yeah and um, but they but they did kill other people yeah. in la which is where this takes place <laughs> so and they, and they do make an overt reference to manson which i thought was interesting with making one i mean maybe a reference in too many cults would have given the game away but they do make a very direct reference to sadie who is this She's um, very Manson red flag. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Again, Sadie. She, she, yeah, she is the walking red flag. Yeah. Um she instantly unsettles not only Will, but the whole the whole party feels unsettled by her yeah. presence. She's waif-like, she's got that kind of greasy, stringy hair. Um and you know, she she what in the midway point they're playing this i want party game um which is meant to disarm our our um our friends and she starts it by saying that she loves everyone even though she doesn't know these people yeah she loves them and uh she kisses gina um again which is to to make her seem almost like childlike and silly and girly um and like oh like she's not a threat um but she's yeah, she is the Manson like comparison to this, and when things turn south, eventually turns south. She's the one who, she's the one who attacks first. 
Yes, she um, does. She attacks yeah. first, which I thought was interesting, where um, we're kind of dancing around what happens in the third act. Uh, but when Eden and David encourage their friends to drink this poison yeah. to, for them to, to, to move on to the next echelon, whatever that whatever they believe in, they clearly believe in some kind of afterlife. Um, when Will catches on that that's what's going to happen, Sadie is so upset, and she's the one who attacks first, and she's the one who runs around the house with a knife. Yeah. Um. So she's like the prop- most proper clean cut villain of the film, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, and then you've also got Pruitt. Yeah. Um, who's another cult member. What did you think of him? He's... So, so I, I remember on the first time I watched it, like, I didn't think much of him. And on mm. this... And I think I almost forgot his kind of character because mm. he's... Mm-hmm. He is so in the background and he does kind of present as almost this... I don't know, he's, he's clearly quite a bit older than the rest of the party there. They're all probably, what, in their kind of, like, mid-30s um, to late-30s-ish, maybe early 40s that that age bracket and he's obviously maybe like 50s um and he's kind of got like a you know a a gentle giant like aura about him he doesn't he doesn't strike you as someone that you would go oh scary he's kind of you're, you're like all right maybe a bit disconcerting but not like a scary person and it's not until they play the I want game where he obviously describes how his wife passed away which was after he'd been drinking and you know he hit her and she smacked her head and she fell that at that point even though he tells it with such a you know a normal demeanor and almost in a very like open honest um kind of I don't know it's it's he doesn't tell it in a menacing way but the way that it projects onto everyone there at the party you suddenly go oh god like the chills come down your spine and he's in a way even more to me even more frightening than Sadie when she goes batshit crazy because Sadie is like you said she's almost like you know a child having a tantrum she's like no I'm not getting my way and she's wielding a knife and she's like screaming but he's so calm and collected and methodical about the way that he's just like, you know, this is what I did. I killed my wife. And then, you know, as we go through the film, he knows that he needs to kill everyone else. And <clears throat> like in that third act, when he takes the gun from David, it's so just like, now I'll murder everyone with no emotion, which yeah. fucked me up more than anything else, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely echo everything you say. And <coughs> your point there about how he's older, I had never thought about that. But if you compare, say, his older, almost, he's got this stoicism about him mm. and he's very calm and collected. Um, compared to the erratic naivety of Sadie, you've got both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And what one thing that Karen Kusuma does with her camera work when he's telling that story of how he murdered his wife and how he's exonerated himself through yeah. the work of the cult, it starts with this wide lens with all of the party in shot. And as he's telling the story, it just slowly zooms up on him. And it's that isolation. Like He had everyone on side to begin with because he's telling about how lovely his wife was, how mm. creative she was. They're all on board. And as he starts to talk about that turn where he hit her 
as hard as he could it's just zooming on him and you see like they're not with him anymore they're not with this story and i just think it's so i've got chills actually thinking remembering it because yeah it's such a simple bit of camera work for you to go we're no longer on his side we were and we're not now yeah and this is a man who is dangerous and um claire one of one of the friends she is us yeah <laughs> i'm out yeah yeah <laughs> i'm uncomfortable i am out and she goes to leave and they're really trying hard to make her stay and will is the one who advocates for her it's like let her go she wants to go let her go yeah and i again like will obviously sensing this is a very uncomfortable situation he wish he could go <laughs> probably he's like i want to go with her <laughs> and he goes and Claire's fate is left really ambiguous. Mm. Um, but I read the script a few months ago. Yeah. And she does she does die. <laughs> she does die. Claire does not get away. And I read that and I was like, no. But it makes sense. It makes sense. They wanted, you know, their whole friends to go with them. So unfortunately, Pruitt does end up murdering Claire when she when he goes out to let her out of the compound. Well, that um, that then, part is so. I find that bit so stressful as well because Will's obviously very. he's watching her, and it's again it goes back to that thing of like if you were in this scenario, he he does everything he can without acting. What you would go, oh, that's that's maybe being a bit crazy, Will, isn't it? You know, he's watching yeah. her. He's like, she's in the car. She's reversed. She's almost gone. And it's when Pruitt just walks around the side and you're going, oh, no, that doesn't feel right. And he feels that. And then David pulls him away. And it is where you go, oh, fuck, what's going on there then? And it's and it's just like those small subtleties that are so, like, stressful and frightening. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, trying to put yourself in that position and go, is this weird or are we just, we're reviewing it from Will's eyes and Will is on another level of stress. Yeah. Um, and in that in that scene when he's watching, clearly you've got Gina, his friend, talking to him, saying, I'm so sorry, I haven't been in contact more. So you can tell that he has felt isolated from his mm-hmm. friends already. So he probably already feels like a stranger to these people. He now yeah. has to spend this very awkward night with. And not only that, then you've got the added there are people who are openly admitting they murdered their spouses and were meant to be okay with it. Um, yeah, one thing I found about Logan Marshall Green, who plays Will, um, this this um, watch through, is I really appreciate how he is so good at showing no light behind the eyes. He yeah. looks like he is just a husk of a man. Yeah. And... There's a, a beautiful scene where um, he Eden asks Will to go get the firewood because mm. he remembers where it is. And as she's walk as sorry, as Will is walking out, Eden and Kira, his new partner, are talking, but it's voiceover as he's walking away from them. And I don't know why, like the way they talk about him is if like he is a child who needs who needs care and attention, but by talking over his scene as he's walking away from the group you know you really see that disconnect that he is he is like shut he is you can't penetrate him like to care for him or to help him through his grief like Kira 
obviously has been trying, but is struggling to get through. Um, and it just really highlights his isolation um, in this massive house. The biggest house. <laughs> the house Isn't is it? huge. The house is ridiculous. <laughs> the house is beautiful and massive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that in itself is a character because you get to know the layout. As you're watching the film, you get to know, oh, okay, the kitchen's downstairs, dining room's upstairs, front door's over the balcony. Like, the way they, they, you can start to plot it in your mind. So for that final act where um, Will and Kira are trying to escape, you can kind of work out which route they could potentially go. Yeah. Which um, which is awesome. That's really fun as a viewer because you can you can be there with them, with their thought process, with their logic. Um, very clever storytelling. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you mentioned about, like, the camera work and stuff, I think um, the entire film really makes you feel like you're, like you said, within the house. Like, you get a real feeling that you're kind of going through this experience with Will. Um, And I think, you know, the way that we see a lot of things happening just from Will's perspective, one makes him you know shows him as like you said more isolated from the group completely disconnected because they will be all in one room as this entity and will is watching from afar or he's peering through a doorway or looking around the corner or you know hearing something about him like you said hearing something about himself but kind of not quite hearing it at the same time um and i think you know i really liked when he's seeing for instance like eden through the window and he's seeing her put the pills away and it's such a it's like you can understand his perspective because he is so he's paying such close attention to everything that's going on around him and yet no one else seems to be seeing those little things that he's picking up constantly through the film like you know if he wasn't paying attention he wouldn't have seen David lock the door no one else paid Mm -hmm. attention to that and it was when you know even when they're bringing out that drink which you know at a party like that it's quite a normal thing that everyone would have a drink and it got me thinking, you know, he's watching the way they're pouring it and they're pouring it as if it is like this precious juice. You know, you've seen wines like at the dinner table scene, you see them pouring wine and it's splashing everywhere. There's food going everywhere. It's quite a messy scene. And then you see them bringing out, you know, what is the Kool-Aid. And when they're <laughs> pouring it, you know, the way they hand it to them is in such a gentle, precious manner. And I feel like that's the part that clicks in Will's head. And he's like, if everyone is wasted and this is just another bottle of wine, why is it presented? You know, because all night as well, they've been drinking wine that's supposedly like this most expensive, amazing wine and then all of a sudden they've got this you know other one which they're like oh you better not spill that but no one mentions it's a special wine so he's he's got that like you said at the beginning he's got that intuition which Mm -hmm. is just so in tuned but again it could be you know thinking of like grief and loss and anxiety the environment he's in you would be feeling your senses would be so heightened going back to the place where your your child died you know you would be there like every little sound and noise and smell would probably take you back as it does for will to times when you were there with your family as you were talking there and you're saying how will is he's watching everything he's every detail 
you know, he's, he's purposely separating himself from the group so he can look at things from a different perspective. So he mm. sees those shots. Thinking about how Will and Eden's son died, we don't actually know. I think it's implied that he was hit by a bat because he says he says something to Kira along, I wish I never gave him that bat. But from the flashbacks, we can tell it's a party, everyone's there, everyone's doing their own thing, the kids are just off in the background. And so they're not paying attention to the mm. kids. Yeah. And yeah. then tra- tragedy strikes and the, and the son dies. And so maybe now, because he wasn't paying attention then, he has to pay attention forever as guilt, but he wasn't paying attention. Yeah. And yeah. He, he talks about how he's been waiting to die ever since that, that moment. Um, so he is living with that grief every day. And he's, he's probably living with the guilt of, I wasn't there for my son. I wasn't watching him. So now he's watching everyone. And again, combined with the fact that it's the house it happened in, it's his ex-wife, it's weird people in amongst this setting. Um, I can fully understand and I do understand the paranoia angle. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was like the perfect storm for Will to see what was actually going on. And in a really dark way, I mean, obviously, like if his son hadn't have died, then... Eden would be looking for peace elsewhere. But if his son hadn't have died, then he wouldn't be paying as much attention as he is now. Yeah. So it's this weird kind of full circle moment. And it's obviously happening again in the house where his son died. Even more death is now happening. Um, I mean, afterwards, you've got to burn that house to the ground. There are some bad vibes <laughs> in that house. But it's too yeah. much death. <laughs> too yeah. much death. Yeah, there's way too much death in there. And, you know, where you're talking about kind of like the grief, it's almost like a, it is, it's like almost like this circle of grief, which again kind of ties into the cult and what they believe is, you know, finding that higher being and kind of reincarnation, meeting those that you lost. So it it's, that's the thing about the film is that, you know, whilst it presents um, cults, in the way that they are very dark sinister you know evil things that exist at the same time it does make you feel very sad and there is a lot of things that you know I think anyone that's been through grief or lost someone close to them or you know any kind of trauma PTSD I think you can look at the cult and go in a way you know I've been there I've been at that dark Mm -hmm. hole where I've gone you know like Will said I've been waiting to die since then you know I think for a lot of us it's like well what's the way out maybe you know wishful thinking I guess it depends on your religion your beliefs etc but you know you get to a dark place and you go well maybe if I were to you know end my life or lose my life I might see that person again I might be reunited with them so it's kind of like yes you know none of us agree with cults but we can absolutely see why they're doing it and that's why it makes the film like the film is heartbreaking like it's frightening but it's also like it gets me in my heart like you know Mm -hmm. last night when I was watching it I was like nearly on you know in tears most of the time through it because I was like there's just so much hurt between all of these people and you know I think even um I think it's Miguel or someone at some point in the film says you know how we have to move forward how do we do this how do we move forward and that's the thing you know for Eden and David Pruitt and Sadie they can't confront their grief in 
the proper manner you know kind of going well this has happened so for them the moving forward is transcending to another place which of course is not quite the right take but you do go well I get it I understand it I understand why they're doing it yeah I think whenever we talk about cults we always we always question how do these people fall, uh, fall for it you know how how did they think this was okay um you know cults especially um the one the big ones mm. this is manipulation of very vulnerable people over many you know months if not years and we know that david and eden have been at the invitation for about two years it's a long time to be brainwashed into thinking that your only out is to ultimately do this but again doctor whatever his name is the cult leader he wouldn't have started with that he wouldn't have started with your only route is you know um killing yourself and everyone you love it would be it would have been oh we've got these techniques that can help you and it'll be that slow build up and build up and build up until the crescendo which is like the final plan and i think this film does a very very good job of explaining how one could end up there yeah um and will is hurt that eden on the surface seems to have absolved herself of all of her grief you know she says um you you can choose to be hurt you know it's a choice yeah it's um you know choose to have that reaction um and will who doesn't believe that and also he's still very much stuck where he may have been two years previous is frustrated that she is so easily moved on and um, or, or on the surface seems to have done um and he thinks it's unhealthy he thinks like mm-hmm. to to forget not not forget she doesn't forget she, she does talk about their son but there's a moment where he asks to see his bedroom and it's been turned into an office. Yeah. So they have removed him from the home. And again, I, w- I was struck with that where, you know, we have parents who have lost their children and then they don't touch their room. They leave it how they left it, you know, with trophies and their bed covers and their toys on the floor. And they've done the opposite. They have like stripped it of all of Ty's personality and made it David's office. Um, And I, so... <laughs> okay, that doesn't sound the most healthy thing either. I don't know what the healthy thing is. And maybe that's the whole point. Yeah. There isn't a there isn't a definitive answer of how you should deal with grief because it'll be different for every person. Um, and I can appreciate there's a flashback where um, Will stops Eden from um, cutting her wrists yeah. um, after after the death. So obviously she, she was in that place of she didn't want to live without her son. And ultimately, at the end of this film, it's the exact same. So she had no, nothing has changed. So where Will was frustrated that Eden seemed to have progressed and moved on with her life, um, in actuality, she hadn't. She was still where she was two years ago. Um, and I, Will and Kira, we do need we do need to talk about Kira for a second, yes, actually. Yes, we should talk oh about my Kira. God. <laughs> What a woman. understanding partner. (laughs) I love Kira and I love that as a character, she, even when he goes, you can't help me, she still comes back and she helps him. 
she gives him a moment and she clearly just gets, you know, she says, I, I am here for you through what you need. I don't ask you to forget, you know, what happened, but together we'll get through this. I think building a character like like Kira into the story is so important because... Yeah. You know, that I think in so many horror films, you see someone going through grief and they don't, their friends don't believe them. They don't have a support network. Their partner is always the first person that shuns them and they feel even more isolated. Whereas, you know, will in, in the entirety of the film, actually everyone bar kind of, well, I mean, to a certain extent, they kind of support him, but, you know, bar kind of Eden, um, David and the, the other two, everyone supports him. And Kira, she is just there, no questions asked. She is the rock. Yeah. And she is the other outsider. Yeah. So when you've got Pruitt and Sadie as outsiders to this group, uh, Kira is also an outsider. But she is incredibly sensible. Um, as much as she doesn't believe Will, um, because it does come across as this paranoia, this anxiety, you know, he's struggling with his grief. Um, there is a moment where he does um, lose his shit and he starts screaming like, yeah. why are we being so fucking polite? And she's like, right, that's it, we're going. We're going. And she's obviously embarrassed, but she can see her partner is in a toxic situation for him and he needs to get out. Yeah, yeah. So she, she tries to get those things into motion um, and the plot means that that can't happen. But she does try and when Eden has um, shot herself in the stomach and is bleeding out, which is a, a, such an interesting point that she shoots herself in the stomach, which is arguably one of the most painfully slow ways to go like to bleed out and it's so torturous well i have a because i i started thinking about that a lot yesterday and i was i was because i i didn't really pay much that i feel like i completely kind of missed over whereas yesterday um and I'd, I'd actually just recorded um, an episode about You Are Not My Mother with Ukraine. So I was thinking about like motherhood and I suddenly thought she shot herself in the womb. She removed the one part. She lost her son. She can't have her son back. That's her grief. She hates mm. that. She's got so much kind of, so how else would she die? She has to go through the loss of her you know it's like a symbol isn't it bleeding through her womb it's the loss of her son how she dies slowly like yes and i and i took because she's got that white dress on Mm. and it's covered in blood i thought of a sanitary pad yeah well it looks like she's on her period doesn't almost like a miscarriage yeah yeah Yeah. oh my god absolutely yeah um i mean it looked it looked great but i was just thinking oh my god eden like She's just suffering so much. She just mm. she obviously blames herself and and wants to torture herself. And she asks Will to take her outside, and Kira helps. Yeah. And again, like I'm just like Kira, you are a gem. Like she has just been through the ringer. Um, you know she is bloodied, she is sweaty, and yet she doesn't hesitate to help this woman because she sees this woman needs help. Yeah. And I just think it, it really, like, she's an awesome character. And I, I, I say, I'm so glad that they showed this character because they could have easily have not and really driven home that he was all on his own. But he wasn't, he, he, he did have support. He does have support. 
Well, and I think as well, you know, from the beginning of the film, we see, we do see how Will kind of looks at Eden. There is a, there's a lost love there. You know, that was his yes. wife. That was the mother of his child. And, you know, they have a moment in the kitchen, very beginning of the film, where she asks him to help her with the glasses and she leans past him and their mm -hmm. faces, you think they're going to go for a kiss. They're so mm -hmm. close that the intimacy... But it's not a it's not a lust. It's not a sexual thing. It's nothing like that. It, it's the loss of they lost their son. They have this, as you said, like trauma bonding. They've got this loss, this joint grief. But they also lost one another. They lost their relationship mm -hmm. because of the loss of their son. So there's a lot of sadness between them. And, you know, you can see that there's still love between them as you know it doesn't matter if people split up there's always love for what they had and I think you know it would have been so easy because Kira clearly sees that when she's in that setting I think there's a few moments where she glances and she can see how Will looks at Eden but the fact that she never kind of she doesn't get jealous she doesn't nope. she's so understanding that yeah yep. of course there's still love there and I think that's you know, what for me is the kind of like the champion thing of the entirety of the invitation is it's so human. It never mm. once gives you a single character that you go, ah, that doesn't quite work for me. Every single character, and I do wish we got to see perhaps a bit more personality from some of them. Like, you know, it's a film where I'm like, we could have dived into that dinner party for hours. Like, I would have yeah. watched that. Obviously, they're not going to do that. <laughs> it's not, you know, cinematic enough. But everyone just feels so well fleshed out with the right morals and understanding. And like you said, when Kira picks, helps to pick up Eden, no one asks her. Will doesn't say anything. Eden doesn't. And they all go outside and they just lay her down where she wants to be with the sun. And you just go in, damn, that's like a masterpiece right there. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, so Eden as well, you know, the yeah. name Eden is a, a place of pleasure. And she was that to Will for many years. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like Paradise Lost, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, did a bit of a, I did a bit of a deep dive in the names because I was like, what do these names mean? Um, so Pruitt, I don't think I'd heard that name before. No, same. Um, it's French and it, it's... Um, brave and valiant and i was like oh i don't know if i agree with that but i think to the cult he is yeah and pruitt is this heavy isn't he there's a moment where he uh when will is in his son's former bedroom he's the one who brings will back into the group you know makes sure that everyone's together and um, he's the one who then goes out and you know kills the rest of them he is like the security guard and it made mm. me think yeah. i wonder if the other houses that are also doing it, as we see in the Hollywood Hills at the end, if they all have their own Pruitt, and yeah. if they all have that heavy to make sure everything goes to plan. Because what you said earlier, he's the older one. I wonder, because he's old, maybe he's been in the cult the longest. Well, and, and also I'm David calls him to come, doesn't he? Almost as you would 
call because he's not there at the beginning and david makes a phone call under the stairs will is watching him and then pruitt arrives so it's almost like he's called backup of his security to go right it's time for you to come and make sure everyone stays in line now so they probably did instill you know like those yeah like a heavy in every household oh my god i i totally missed a phone call you're absolutely right Oh, that makes me so much happier because he must because David senses that Will Is, senses something. Yeah, because Will started being a bit mm, not yeah. not quite right. Yeah. I'm just gonna put my light on a second. I've gone really dark. That's in here. Right. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, I, I completely missed the phone call. And then isn't there a moment where there's a knock at the door? Yeah, and David says it was hikers or people lost in the hills. Who's that? What's that about? Is that genuine? That I was, that I was like, is it the police? Are they going around doing house calls? But I was like, that seems weird because especially when you consider like that the rest of the neighborhood, weird things are going on. Like, have they had calls? I still don't know. Or is it, you know, like one of the other households making a check or is it someone from the cult like doing house rounds to, to yes. check on the progress? Like is everything on? Because because I guess at that point we don't know that it's like a widespread phenomenon in the no. LA Hills. So perhaps they've got, you know, because I guess, you know, when we think of cults, we, you, you, we often forget that it's like organised crime. You know, these things yeah. are, they're planned meticulously to a date, to a time. We must do it like this. This must happen. And if you've got, you know, if they were to also have Pruitts in the other households, they might even have other Sadies. And perhaps it is someone like, you know, going around doing the calls of, are we on schedule? Like, is this yes. everything happening? Because, you know, if you think in a dinner party setting, in a way you have a schedule, don't you? We arrive, you have drinks, then the dinner happens, then you do the toast and bang, whatever time it is, 11pm, we start the initiation, something like mm. that. I don't because I don't know who else it could be. Yeah, I, I, I when it happens, again, I forgot about the knock at the door mm. when I was watching it. Um. And it, you know, it gives this, oh, it's hikers, or they're going to get lost or something like that. And I was just curious that, like, say, I got the vibe it was some kind of security. Yeah. Um, But I think you're right. I think it makes sense that there is this maybe another level of, like, management, like the event organizers yeah. who are going around. Because there's some really good foreshadowing um, that it is wider than this house when they mention the invitation and Miguel says, oh, yeah, he knows about it. He's like, oh, yeah, lots of people do that. Really popular in LA and New York. And I was like... Yeah, you're right. And that's yeah. just bullshit. And then, and then, yeah, you see at the end all these red lanterns, which mimic the wine that they were meant to be drinking as their Kool-Aid. Yeah. Um, that um, it's it's widespread. It is happening all over the hills, um, which means, again, the frightening thing for me was if you're ringing the police, are they going to get to you? Because there's another like 50 other houses also ringing for help. Um, it It's such a subtle yet, because I think when you're in that, when you're in that house, you forget there's the outside world. Yeah. But they yeah. do a really good job of like locking you in and to have that view of like, oh, all of this is happening. It's just repeating itself everywhere. It was so daunting. And you wonder like, 
well, what's happening in that house? And how, how did, it, did it go really well there? Did it, is it, you know, did they go off without a hitch? Or all of them kicked off? Um, I just thought it was such a, just a little, like a little topper. It didn't need it, but it's just a little, it's just a little good nugget at the end. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing with cults, isn't it? Is that I think it's so easy to think that it's like, you know, a small thing, but actually the whole purpose of cults is like, to get more and more people into this uh, you yeah. know you you mentioned Jonestown earlier and mm -hmm. whilst it was yes kind of isolated to begin with in that they were talking about expansion you know uh Jim Jones idea was to expand it beyond that to get other communities to go you know even start buying land I think somewhere else to make like a new hub a new plantation land where they would live um and have another community so for them like the cult thing is not you just just get you know a couple of people and you you will kill you know you will kill yourselves and you transcend no no it's about the bigger like almost they want everyone to be in yeah. a cult to do it it's like that power of and they say it in this don't they community communion being together connected so it's almost like it feels like the more people they have, the more they have in the cult, the bigger their transcendence and power is. So, of course, you know, it makes sense why you would have it as an organised thing, a big event, like, you know, that power of coming together and everyone transcending kind of lifts it up, which is, I mean, it's, that's fucking scary. Like, yeah. that's scary. <laughs> and, and it would be in the history books as well. Yeah. You know, the fact that we can even talk about Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, Manson Family, you know, add in your cult here, is because they end in the most horrific ways. And you wonder whether, like, what is the actual motivation for this, for the, the creators of this call? Is it, do they genuinely believe this afterlife and that they have to take everyone with them? Or is it for infamy? Mm. Um, think about Jonestown. Uh, Jim Jones, he, he he was the most egotistical person going. Yeah. And when the US government were inquiring, because it was US citizens in, in Guam, I believe, um, when people started sniffing around, he was like, well, no one's taking this away from me. I've built this. Yeah. So if, if we're going down, we're all going down. And it came from a place of ego. And I wonder for the invitation cult what had led to this final plan being initiated you know heaven's gate they initiated they initiated their plan because of um the haley the haley bot comet was coming around and they thought behind the comet was the spaceship that they had to ascend to mm. so that's why they did it on that specific date um so again I, it'd be you could do like a prequel to this film of like how did this cult become a cult and what was the lore and the mythology to lead to the events of of the film uh, it just it's just fascinating i think cult culture is fascinating because you know you, you touched on it earlier as much as we all like to think oh we would never fall for that you have no idea until yeah. these these people are like master manipulators and they're preying on your insecurities they're preying on on what you're vulnerable um, and this particular uh, specific one is grief and death um you if you're in that position if you're in eden's position um i think it might be hard to, to 
pull back from someone offering you relief from that. Yeah, I, I, do you know what? I think a lot of us, if in Eden's position, would probably end up, you know, falling for it as well. You know, especially mm. with, you know, again, David, very charismatic, very similar to Charles Isn't Manson. He? The the ca- yeah. charisma, you know, even similar to like, you know, some serial killers like Ted Bundy, charismatic. Mm. They pull you in, they make you feel a certain way and you can't escape from that. So it's it's just not as easy as, you know, I think we can always, as an outside perspective, be like, oh, well, I'd do this, I'd do that, you know, I would have left at this point, I would have left at that point, you know, even with the invitation, me and my boyfriend were saying, I was like, well, we would have left that party at this point, and it's like, yeah, would you have, though, like, would you, would you have have left when Claire left, or would you have gone, ah, fuck it, I'll have another drink, like, we're all just drunk, you know, getting, I mean, I'm sure we've all been in awkward situations, which when you look back, you go, hmm, something wasn't right about that, or I should have left, I shouldn't have been there, and you knew it at the time, but you go, well, it's, you know, I'll keep going, it's fine, you know, it was so easy to not believe ourselves and our own, like, intuition, yeah, I, I like to pride myself on that I've got a good gut instinct. Um, but I think in this situation, I don't know if I would have seen the red flags. Um, I'd love, again, I'd love to say I would have. I, again, I wrote down, I'd leave when Claire left. Because if you're going to show me a video of someone dying, I think that's my cue to leave. But, you know, I might have got up and said, you know what, I'm really not comfortable. But if my friends, my close friends, were saying, no, stay, yeah. how I don't know if I could push back. They're like, oh, you know what? Maybe I just need to chill out. Because no one else is no one else is panicking. So why am I panicking? Yeah. Um it, it it is brilliantly done. Like it's such and I say this with like, I mean, we're horror fans, it's a fun film for that reason. For, <laughs> yeah. for you to be put to imagine yourself in these situations where like, how would I work out? That's that's the whole point of horror, isn't it? But in this one, it's just it's played so well and, and just massively crafted. Um I love it. I love this film. And I wish I was looking at IMDb and I know IMDb is not kind <laughs> to horror films. You know what I mean? Like, we're always like, if it's got a five and it's a horror film, it's probably worth a watch. Um, it's a 6.6. And I was like, it is definitely at, l- at least a seven. I mean, I call yeah. it five, five out of five, like five stars. But yeah, just, I think that's so low. I think that's so not fair. I, I think a lot of people struggle with slow ban. I think a lot mm. of people can't get past the fact that you've you almost get a payoff you get a reward for a slow burn film and also i think a lot of people go into horror expecting you know slash gut score from the very beginning of it you know whereas this is it is a character study and you've got to sit with it and you've got to sit in that grief and it can it can be quite an uncomfortable bleak film to watch but i agree with you like for me um you know definitely a, a like five out of five film shouldn't have just 6.6 on imdb but whoever put that then they're completely wrong um i know so i would say we've kind of i mean i think we could probably keep on going for like another 12 hours talking about cults and i really could everything in there but i want to know do you have any um kind of like similar film recommendations that you think would fit well with this film i mean i guess 
for me, you know, immediately springs to mind. You've got things like Hereditary and Midsummer. thinking about mm. grief. Um, mm-hmm. I also think a lot about the film Relic. Uh, I think anything that kind of looks at, at grief is a is a good um, recommendation. I think the only other one I would give is the film Sator, which is very, like, indie, uh, low-budget kind of movie, but it's very, very slow burn, and it's all about that kind of family connection, isolation, feeling completely disconnected from everyone around you, and it also scared the shit out of me. So... I, I that's my recommendation okay i'm adding that to the list um i thought of coherence because yes. of dinner parties yes um and again like the friendships um i yeah that came into he- my head when i was trying to explain to my partner what what film i was going to watch he kept on thinking i was talking about coherence so and i think it may have came out at a very similar time um so yeah um coherence is a good another good dinner party um one um i'm trying to think of another grief one but i totally agree with hereditary and midsummer um probably midsummer is probably a an interesting one because this film takes place purely at night midsummer is in broad daylight so if you want a bit of <laughs> a different ends of the spectrum with that that could be fun um but yeah i have to have a think about that but say say, say did you say yeah sounds really cool yeah, it's very um yeah, very slow burn, creepy kind of film. I'll uh, I'll send you the link to it. I think you'll yeah. I think you'll like that one. Well, thank you, Hannah, for talking about the invitation because you gave me an excuse to rewatch it and yeah, it was a it was a good rewatch and yeah, my partner also was like, Oh shit, I forgot how good that was. So those are the best kinds of films. Um, where can everyone follow you, find you, um, and what do you have going on at the moment? Anything exciting? I fully forgot people do this at the end of podcasts, so I am in no way prepared. Um, okay, so <laughs> my Instagram, um, my Instagram and my letterbox is at Queen Beast, um, and my Twitter is at Queen Beast says. Uh, I write mainly for Ghouls Magazine, um, and my next um, feature coming up is around um, the blood-soaked heroine and where that imagery comes from and why that imagery exists. Um, it was a really fun explore into um, some of the, some of my favourite horror films. Um, so that's coming out soon, so keep on the lookout for that. Wow, thank you so much, Hannah, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Ghouls Gang podcast. Big thank you to Hannah for coming on and joining me and talking about none other than Karen Kasama's The Invitation. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share on social media and spread the word because any word of mouth does really help us. Of course, you can head over to ghoulsmagazine.com for more spooky content. Your support means the world to us, so thank you for helping to keep us alive. I've been your host Zoe, keep it ghoulish.